Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of John where we hear our Lord Jesus Christ pray. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you are a marvelous God who has graciously gathered us here together as one this morning so that we might receive your word and receive your blessings to the glory of your name. We pray, Lord, that we would be a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for unity in the church and that through us the world might come to know your great joy and your great love. Now, Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we like to talk about here at Community Lutheran Church. We are a congregation where you hear God's word in worship, you learn God's word in Bible study, and you care for everybody that God gives to you. And some of the people that the Lord has given to us in this church to care for are our preschoolers. You know we have a preschool here. Uh, every day of the week we have lots of little kids over there in our preschool and they are a wonderful blessing and a true joy to see. And God has given them to us as a church to care for them. And one of the great opportunities we have in our church to care for those preschoolers is a ministry we call our prayer partner ministry. This is an opportunity you have to uh, sort of be assigned a preschooler and you just pray for them throughout the year. You pray for them, you pray for their family, and it's really a, a wonderful and joyful little ministry. If you are not yet a part of it, I cannot encourage you enough uh, to sign up for that for next year. One of the things, though, we did this past week is we had a prayer partner meetup, which was like a hot dog picnic. And it was a lot of fun. We all sat around together eating hot dogs. My particular prayer partner ate 17 pieces of watermelon and gummy worms. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things we did at this little gathering is we had a little project where we had a coloring sheet with the little child praying on it. And we colored that in together. And then on that sheet, we wrote down the prayer requests of our children. And uh, the students were wonderful in what they prayed for. My uh, prayer partner, of course, was the most orthodox and Christian of all of them. And so he prayed for Jesus and God and the church. Very well done, you see. Uh, the child sitting across from us prayed for a boat. It was a lot of fun, and you learn a lot about kids when you listen to them pray. Not just about children, anybody you listen to pray. You can learn a lot about that person. You learn a lot about the person in you when you listen to the way they pray. You learn about their hopes, you learn about their dreams, you learn about what matters to them, you learn about what they're afraid of, you learn what kind of toys they want, you learn a lot about somebody when you listen to them pray. Which is why our reading from the Gospel from John today is an incredible gift, because the Holy Spirit invites us in to hear Jesus pray. And the Holy Spirit gives us this window into the heart of our Lord so that we might hear what He prays for. And though we probably won't learn what kind of toys Jesus wants, we will certainly learn what matters to him, what he desires, and what he loves. Now it really is a remarkable thing to think that God prays to God, that the second person of the Trinity is praying to the Father. And if we're going to listen in on this prayer, we might be a little nervous about what we're going to hear because, I mean, this could be some really cosmic, mysterious, powerful stuff. What does the Son say to the Father in an inner Trinitarian prayer? We might figure that we would learn some of the secrets of the universe. We would be overwhelmed by the cosmic power that is proclaimed in these prayers. We might think that Jesus, if praying anything about this world, is focused on the powers and the wars and, the, and all the amazing things going on in this world. 
But as we listen in on this prayer, you know what we hear Jesus praying for? We hear him praying for you. We hear him praying for us. We hear him praying for the church. For that's what matters to Jesus. It's interesting, if you were to read all of John chapter 17, it's a much longer prayer. And the prayer starts out with Jesus praying specifically for his disciples. This prayer takes place uh, the night in which Jesus is betrayed. And he starts first by praying specifically for the apostles themselves as they go out and continue to spread the ministry that he has begun in their lives. But then he changes the prayer. And he focuses off of them and onto us, he says. I do not ask for these, the apostles only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for the baptized people of God. He's praying for all who believe in his name. He is praying for his church. He is praying for us. He is praying for you. For you see, that is what is in Jesus' heart. That's what matters to him. That's what he loves. You. How remarkable it is to think that we have Jesus, this, this great high priest who offers up his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that our sins are washed away in his blood. Your sins are washed away in his blood. And now as he is risen from the dead, he lives and reigns ever, the scriptures say, to intercede on your behalf. That is to say, Jesus prays for you. But as we get a glimpse of this prayer today, we might be rather uh, surprised by what he prays for. He doesn't necessarily pray for what we want him to pray for. In other words, he's not asking for God to give you a new boat, as far as we know. But what we do know that he's praying for is something far more profound. As Jim said so wonderfully in the children's message today, he's praying for unity. He's praying for us to be one in his church. This is what he says. He says, Father, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, Jesus is praying for a lot of unity here, and there's a lot that he said there in just a matter of a few words, but we at least get this much. Jesus is praying here first that there would be unity among his people. Then he's praying that there would be unity between his people and the Father. And then finally he's praying that when the world sees this sort of uh, united gospel front, that they would be drawn in and they would join us in this blessed unity with Christ. Really, I think if we think about it today, what Jesus is praying for here is that the Father would continue the work that he has begun in the resurrection of Christ that the, resur uh, the resurrection work of Jesus would continue to expand throughout his church and throughout the world. Now that might seem like a strange turn right there, but you kind of have to follow me on this. All right, so here's the thing. We're going to do a little Bible study now, okay? We're going we're to get a little bit theological here this morning, so that either means wake up or fall asleep. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive a little bit into the theology of the resurrection today. Because today is, after all, the last Sunday in the season of Easter. Easter is not one Sunday, uh, but it is a, it is a, it is a long season uh, in the church calendar. And today is the final Sunday in the church calendar, uh, final Sunday of Easter, the seventh Sunday in Easter in the church calendar. So we're still focused on Jesus being risen. He is risen. Alleluia. 
And now usually when we talk about this resurrection, we tend to focus on Jesus conquering death. And that's an appropriate thing because that's what he's done. And we sort of think of it this way. Jesus rose from the dead. He died for all of our sins. He reconciled us to God. And now he is risen. So we too will rise on the last day and we will live with God in his presence for all of eternity. That tends to be our focus on the resurrection. And that's a good thing because that is the great promise and the great gospel of the resurrection that death doesn't have the last word and that we will live forever in the presence of Christ by his grace alone. But there's more. It's not just that. It's not just that death has been conquered, but when Jesus rises from the dead, what he's doing is he is actually undoing all the schemes of Satan. The resurrection of Christ means that Satan's regime is overthrown, and Jesus has victory over the work of the devil. And what is the work of the devil? Well, Jesus has told us it is to steal, it is to kill, it is to destroy. It is to accuse us before the Father, to destroy our relationship with God. Whatever God has made good, whatever God has made beautiful, the devil comes to destroy and distort. Whatever God, we might say, has united together, the devil comes to divorce and to destroy. So think of Adam and Eve in the garden. What was Satan's work there? To separate what God had united. Think about Adam. When after the rebellion into sin, Adam then turns against God, and he turns against Eve. Eve turns against the creation. Even uh, from this day forward, we learn uh, that birth, this wonderful, incredible gift, where a mother has a child united to her in her womb, suddenly becomes a burden and painful. All of creation is now working against itself, and unity is destroyed. Before this, it wasn't like that at all. Before this, you had man and woman, and the two became one flesh, and it was a beautiful thing. And then Adam would work the ground, and the ground would bless Adam, and there was cohesion, there was perfection. The, the Hebrew word for this is there was shalom. There was perfect peace. There was perfect unity among everything in the creation. And there was, most importantly, perfect unity between man and God as God would come and walk in the garden and commune with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day until sin enters the scene. And Satan ruins all of it. And Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and humanity was separated from the loving presence of God because of our sinful rebellion against him. Sin and Satan ruined it all. But Christ will not have this and so this is why the Father sends the Son in the flesh. God unites with humanity in Jesus Christ so that Jesus might undo all this wicked work of Satan. This is what he's doing on Good Friday when he's dying. He's reuniting us with the Father. All the sin, all the guilt, all the shame of the world falls upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ and he washes all of it away in his blood. So that the thing that was keeping us from the gracious presence of God, the thing that was keeping us out of the garden has been removed and Christ has now welcomed us back into the presence of the Father. We are reunited with God through the blood of Jesus. This is what he says in his prayer. The glory that you have given to me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus has returned us to God's gracious presence, and the resurrection is the vindication of this. 
And though we don't see it now, what this means is that you who are baptized and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ has given you the Father's smile. The Father's face shines upon you and blesses you. And though now we don't see it with our eyes, now this shining face of God is only given to us through our ears and in our hearts through faith. One day when we arise, we will actually see the glory of God with our own resurrected eyes, when faith becomes sight. So this is why Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. In other words, Jesus is praying, Father, I want to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day for all of eternity. This is what he has accomplished for us through his death on the cross and in his resurrection. And so this death resurrection of work reunites us to God. It's restored our relationship to the Father, but now Jesus prays that this restoration to our relationship with the Father would then begin to move out amongst the, all, amongst the brothers and sisters. That this unity we have with God would begin to shape the unity we have with one another in the church. And that when the world sees this gospel-based unity, they would recognize that this is a picture of something beautiful. This is an, an experience of the restored creation, things working the way they're supposed to work, where we love and care for one another as we gather together in the presence of a, of a, of a loving and a gracious Father. And so today we thank God that the church in the world now lives in perfect visible unity with no sinful division to keep the world from wanting to be a part of us. Or not. The church, we must confess in our day, is greatly divided in our eyes. And though Jesus has promised by his grace to hold his church together in one unity, we simply do not see it. And we rarely act as though we are one. And this morning I could go into all the painful divisions that we're experiencing within multiple denominations uh, throughout the world. But sometimes that conversation goes nowhere. And quite frankly, we're not going to accomplish a whole lot here today by talking about all the difficult uh, ecumenical divisions that take place within the church. Frankly, sometimes we need to deal with the plank in our own congregation's eye, our own family's eye, our own friendship's eyes, before we start dealing with the specks in the eyes of others. See, more to the point today for us is the division that takes place in our own lives because of sin. We've all experienced it in many and different ways. I mean, if you look at our country right now, we've allowed our politics to define who we are more than Jesus. So the people in their own friendships are being ended, families are divided over different political perspectives. We see families being torn apart because of pride, because of a fight that takes place, and one side refusing to repent to the other, one side refusing to humble themselves and say they were wrong. And so divorce happens, and families suffer, and everybody is hurt in the entire process. Within the congregation, we have not pursued the wandering sheep who have not been worshiping with us for a while. We've noticed that they've gone, and we're wondering why nobody else will contact them. And so by not contacting them ourselves, just letting them wander, we are passively approving of their division from the church. 
And there are those who have come into our midst who have been struggling with sin. And perhaps we have driven them from our presence because we're just not comfortable with what they're doing and we don't know how to handle it. And the list of divisions goes on. And all of us here this morning, you and me, we are all guilty of this. So then we hear Jesus' prayer for unity and we wonder how this could ever come to be. Is this just sort of wishful thinking from the heart of Jesus? Is he just sort of hoping things work out his way? No, for he has united us here today in our sinfulness so that we might repent as one and be reunited to one another and to him through the one thing that can create us as a one people, his word of forgiveness. See, if there's one thing all of us have in common, if there's one thing that unites the entire world, it's our sinful rebellion against Jesus. It's our love for division and our pride. But if there's one thing that can save all of us, it's the word of mercy. It's Christ's forgiving grace. So St. Paul writes in the book of Romans, for God has consigned all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. And that is what unites us here this morning. The mercy that Jesus Christ has on you. You see, as you are gathered here today in this church, you are Jesus' answered prayer. For he has brought you here to unite you together as one beneath the word that you hear now, that your sins are forgiven because his blood was shed for you, and he is risen so that you will live together as one with him forever. This is a place where we are united by the grace of Jesus Christ. And now we pray that his forgiving word that comes to us by grace alone would then shape our lives together. That you and I would start forgiving one another, humbling ourselves before one another, repenting to one another, and being united together. I mean, honestly, as you look at our situation in the country right now, I can think of nothing that would be more shocking to the world, nothing that would be more countercultural to a world than a people who doesn't pursue division, but gathers together in repentance before their God, and in repentance towards one another, so that forgiveness would be the dominant word among us, a people united and habitually confessing their sins to God and each other, and thus a people being formed and shaped by a word of forgiveness and grace. That might turn a few heads. It's what Jesus prays for. After all, it is the love of Jesus for you that restores you to God and in his creation. And this love is what unites us to him and to one another. And in his love, Jesus promises that he will continually to be united to us in this life. Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And the love of Jesus is in you today. It is for you today. Jesus is not separate from you, but he has welcomed you through his blood back into a right relationship with God. And now as he gathers you together to sing his praises, he will bring you to this altar today, this union, this communion, where we will receive the same body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. This meal will be a step back into paradise 
where we are perfectly united. So we gather today to worship and to receive the sacrament, this meal, this time of Jesus' answered prayers. Amen. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for our division. Forgive us for separating from those things which you love. And we pray, O Lord, that you would keep us united and as one. Forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation, and grant us your Son, Jesus, so that we might be continually brought back to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.